0: Open up your Bible to uh, Luke chapter 2. You know, I really was grateful to come across that video. I'd, I knew it last year, and um, it popped up on my news feed again this year, and um, I wanted to show that to you because this, this chapter um, and these verses that we're going through next, they're um, a little difficult. And so I'm going to try to make this passage of Scripture not laborious, but it's very doctrinal, it's very theological, and um, in, in order to really uh, grasp what's being talked to us about here, um, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the Old Testament and then looking at uh, lots of other passages in the New Testament to kind of come at it from, from two bookends to see really what's what a cool thing about our Savior. And you've probably heard it said before that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed In the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And these verses we're going to be going through this morning, really verses 21 through 24, that's all we're going to make it through today, those verses, these verses um, really epitomize that saying, where the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And we see that in the events that Luke writes about here as the New Testament opens up an Old Testament, this New Testament passage opens up an Old Testament understanding. And and for us, great application in regards to who the Savior is and what he's done for us. And so um, as we move through these verses and and we study Old Testament and New Testament together, I would really encourage you to keep the overall thought in mind in regards to um, this is... is, um, application in regards to what the Savior has done for us. Now, when we began this chapter last week, we made it through the first 20 verses, which tell us about the birth of Jesus and about specific events surrounding his birth um, that the video showed, but we also read about and studied. But the, these things about the birth of Jesus and the events of Jesus's birth, Luke writes about these things because they, they validate for us who this baby is, okay? And, and it reveals Ultimately, what he came to do. And in light of this, we've been told where Jesus was born, to whom the first announcement of his birth was given, and of course to the shepherds, and then the response of the shepherds who went to see the Savior who had been born in Bethlehem and laid there in the manger, just like the angel of the Lord had told them. Now, in the remaining verses of this chapter, Um, which we're only going to get through a portion, but in the remaining verses of this chapter, Luke records some some very important events that took place in the life of this baby shortly after his birth. The first, which we'll read about, is his circumcision, which took place traditionally, as as was required by the law, eight days. It happened eight days after um, uh, Jesus' birth. And then the second event happened 32 days later, 32 days after Jesus' or the baby's circumcision, at a time when Mary and Joseph traveled once again back to Jerusalem in order to present this newborn baby to God at the temple where the sacrifice of redemption was made on, behalf, on his behalf in accordance to the law of God. And what we won't get into this week, which we'll look at next week, lastly, Luke in this chapter tells us about two individuals. Uh, If you want to read ahead, you can and and look at it, but two individuals who had been waiting with great expectation for the arrival of their Savior, and um, really their reactions as they finally were able to put their eyes on this promise of God that they've been waiting for. So, um, where's Curtis? Curtis, will you turn the fans to the auto position? for Me and that'll be great. All right, verse 21. If you guys will read with me, and we'll, I'll read and you'll follow along. It says, When eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, When the days of her, speaking of Mary's, purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So let's stop there. Also this morning, guys, we want to pray for um, another one of the churches in our community as we pray for our time together in the Word. Uh, and this morning, we're, we'll pray again for the Vineyard Church here. Uh, the pastor there is Pastor Luke and his wife, Crystal, their associate pastor, Pastor Alex, and his wife, Donna. And of course, we want to pray for the unity of the, the, the church and the truth of God's Word to be taught. And I think also for the love of God's uh, of God to flow in and through the lives of of the the congregation of those at Vineyard, our brothers and sisters. Let's pray, Father, for this word that we study this morning. Your word, God. These uh, two events in the life of Jesus as a as a as a very small infant. I pray, God, you'd help us to have understanding and insight. That you give us wisdom through the through the knowledge and understanding and through the empowering and teaching of your Holy Spirit. God, we know you're faithful to do this. And so, Lord, may we see again the great depth of your salvation that you have for us, the awesome ministry of your son Jesus that he has accomplished um, for us and and what that means. And for our brothers and sisters at the Vineyard Church who are meeting today also, we lift them up to you and we give you thanks, Lord, that you have placed other believers in this community uh, for us to, to worship alongside, to be encouraged by, to share our faith with, Um, and to walk together, Lord, as we await for your return. We pray for Pastor Luke and ask you to bless him today and his wife. And we pray for Pastor Alex as well and his wife. And God, we ask that you continually protect and provide for every need that they have. And Lord, for the love that you've shown us uh, for our church, for for the Vineyard Church, God, may your love, which flows into us, flow out of us freely. God, may we be willing to love um, fearlessly together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> okay, um, this first event, which we read about, the circumcision of Jesus, which happened eight days after his birth, it was something, um, as you probably all well know, something that um, all Jewish male children were required by the law to do. But we're going to talk about that a little bit. And it was required, they were required by the law, the law required this, this circumcision to take place of the flesh, because circumcision was was two things. Circumcision was a sign and a seal. Okay, it was a sign and a seal of the covenant that God had made with Abraham and his descendants. And um, in a sense, it was like the children of Israel signing on the contractual line. And 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 when Abraham and his descendants were circumcised, they were they were agreeing to enter into it. They were making a A public declaration of entering into this covenant. And in Genesis chapter 17 is where we first read about this. And and, and God, it tells us that God appeared to Abraham when he was 99 years old. That's what we're told in that chapter. And he appeared to him at that time in order to make this covenant with him, this agreement with him. And in doing so, God promised some things to Abraham, right? He promised to make Abraham, first of all, at this, at this point, who had no children at all at the age of 99, he promised to make him a father of many nations, a father of many nations, saying he would make him exceedingly fruitful and that many nations and many kings would come forth from his descendants. Furthermore, God also promised to give Abraham and his descendants a land <laughs> of their own, specifically the land of Canaan he, that he was told as an everlasting possession. But more importantly, God promised, and this is really the, 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 the foundation for, for this, this covenant, because more importantly, God promised to be Abraham's God, to be God to Abraham and to all of his descendants that came after him. And in establishing this covenant agreement, this covenantal agreement, God, God called Abraham to some things. First of all, he said, obey my voice. Obey my voice and, and, and do my will. And then ultimately God said to be circumcised as an outward sign and a seal To This covenant and to the promises that were ultimately to the promises that God had made in it. And and, and God said that this same sign of circumcision was something that all of Abraham's male descendants were to be sealed into this covenant with. That means that they were entered into or brought into this covenant through circumcision. And if they were not circumcised, then they were seen as breaking the covenant and they were literally to be cut off from the people. Now, when we think about circumcision, and I don't want to get too graphic, I think you all know what it is, it's the cutting away of the flesh of the foreskin, and when you think about that, in relationship to the promises that God made and the covenant that God made with Abraham, we might think this be an be an odd thing to seal a covenant with. But there's, there's many reasons for it, but I'm going to really draw your attention to one, one specific reason as it relates to what we read about here in the Gospel of Luke. Okay? The thing that we must understand about the call to be circumcised is that it was primarily a sign and a seal of a covenant of grace. Okay? Keep that in your mind. The circumcision was a sign and a seal of a covenant of grace, of entering into a covenant of grace, of God's unmerited favor. And we know that because when we go back to the the covenant that Abraham entered into, the animals that were sacrificed, right, as, 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 as this agreement was made, and, and, and the, the custom of the time was, is that you would, you would offer up an animal as a sacrifice, you'd split it into two pieces, and both parties who made the agreement together would walk through the, 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 the two pieces of animal that were there on each side, and basically what you were saying is, is if one of us break this agreement, this is what should happen to us. Okay, But we know that when Abraham prepared the sacrifice, what God did is he caused Abraham to fall into a sleep. And God walked through the animals, through the two pieces of sacrificed animal, by himself, and then he consumed them with flame so that there was nothing left for Abraham to do. God entered into it and really was saying, it's a covenant of grace. It's the work that I will do. It's promises that I'll make. It's unconditional. And he was just inviting Abraham to enter into it through circumcision. So it was a, it was a covenant of, of grace, of God's unmerited favor. And this is because circumcision not only sealed the promises made to Abraham, which uh, 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 related ultimately the ones that we talked about so far to the commonwealth of Israel, meaning national promises such as receiving the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, But first and foremost, the sign of circumcision sealed them to God's promise of redemption. So it sealed them to the national promises, but more importantly, it sealed them to God's promise of redemption. And where was this promise given? This promise of redemption was given because it was rooted in God's promise to be their God, right? And for them to be, as he calls them, his special chosen people. Therefore, this cutting of the way of the flesh was always a picture that pointed his people forward. It was always a picture that pointed his people forward to a spiritual redemption that comes, ultimately, we know, through the removal of sin and the purification of a heart. Not necessarily with the cutting away of the flesh of the foreskin. And and how do we know that? It's literally what we're being told here is for those who would put their faith in God and in his plan of redemption. Looking forward to what God would do, putting their faith in God and his plan of redemption and receive his grace and forgiveness through faith in his son Jesus, who we know, the savior who is the Christ. And this is why God, now I'm gonna connect the dots here, and this is why God would later speak through the prophets like Jeremiah, Isaiah, others like him, and he he would speak to them in times when the nation of Israel had entered into idolatry or when they had rebelled against God as a nation, and he would speak to them about their need to repent and, and, and in doing so, as, 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 as coming forth, what he would say to him is stuff like this, circumcise the foreskin of your heart, right? God was saying, it's about your heart. I want your heart. Your heart needs to be right. And he would say, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and come back to me. And God was making this connection, this spiritual illustration, through the act that they went through to enter into it to show them the deeper thing in regards to what they needed to do for redemption. In fact, the Apostle Paul addressed this very thing for us in the New Testament in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And he said this, listen, Paul, a, 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 a Jew of Jews, right? Paul writes about that. And he gives his lineage, the tribe of Benjamin, who he, was, who he was taught under, you know, blameless in the law, right? If anybody was a Jew of Jew, it was Paul's. He testifies of it. He says this, this guy, he says, a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly. And what he's talking about is that covenant relationship, that 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 special relationship of God being their God and he being then them being his people. Okay? This is what he's talking about when he's speaking about being a Jew. And, And he's saying it's not just because we're outwardly look like a Jew. And for the Jews, we know that it was more than just circumcision. There was lots of things that they did how they cut their hair, the clothes that they wore, the food that they eat, these kinds of things that they did outwardly to identify them where God set them apart and said, look, this is my special chosen people. And he said, a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision, and so he speaks about it specifically, Noah's is circumcision merely outward and physical. He says, no, a man is a Jew with that relationship with God, what he's talking about in the covenantal promises, he says, if he is one inwardly. A man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. In circumcision, Paul clarifies it clearly for us. He says, in circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit of God. And I love that because, again, it's a work of God. God is the one that circumcises the heart we're going to talk about that. He said, said, it's a circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. This man is praised by God. So the cutting away of the flesh and the foreskin was always a picture of the spiritual redemption. Always, from day one, from the time that God spoke to Abraham about it, it was always a picture of the spiritual redemption that God would provide and has provided for us. In where God would circumcise our hearts, right? Removing, the Bible says, our heart of stone out of our flesh. God doing this and giving us a heart of flesh. And, and then taking or placing the Holy Spirit in us so that we might walk in his ways and, keep and, do his, and to keep and do his judgments. That is what is spoken of exactly in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 36, verses 26 through 27. Old Testament prophecy speaking about what God would do in circumcising our hearts, taking out the heart of stone, giving us a heart of flesh. Putting his spirit in us so that we may walk in his ways and keep his judgments. Spiritual redemption, relationship with God where we say I'm your I'm yours God and you're mine. And the means by which this promise of redemption, guys, this is where it really gets to the things that Luke is talking about here for us in this passage and the means by which this promise of redemption that God has made and and, and was always pointing his people to is revealed for us here in the circumcision of the Savior. This event that we read about that took place eight days after his birth is revealed in the circumcision of the Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this is being made known to us. Look in verse 21 where it says, When eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called what? Jesus. Who here in your Bible has that all in capital letters? Yeah? Mine. It should be. It is. It's all in capital letters, and there's a reason for that. Now, we'll talk about that, but it was customary in the Jewish culture for all male children to be given their name on the day of their circumcision, it was part of the event. But what is significant about this, in this this instance, is the fact that the name Jesus is all in capital letters. And it's because it's a reference to a title and not just a declaration of a name. It's not just saying, um, uh, it's not just the name that he would wear, but it is who he is. He is Jesus. And when the angel... Gabriel had first appeared to Mary. He said to her in Luke chapter 1 verse 31, "You shall call his name Jesus and listen, and he will be great." Okay? That is as that second part is as equally as significant to the title that he is given. His name shall be Jesus and he will be great. And, when, and then when the angel Gabriel appeared to Joseph to assure him that Mary had in fact conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit, the angel Gabriel had made a similar declaration, saying in Matthew chapter one, verse 21, "Listen. He said, "Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take your Mary to take to, take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, And she will bring forth a son, here it is, and you should call his name Jesus." Now listen, it says, why does he have that name, that title? Not only because he'll be great, why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Now, the name Jesus in the Hebrew language is the word Yeshua, right? And it means this. The word Yeshua means Jehovah is salvation. And Jehovah is salvation, is a name of God. And Jesus, who is God's Savior, is the manifestation, we know, of what? Of God's grace. Jesus is the manifestation of God's grace. And back in Luke chapter 2, if you look back there in verse 11... We read that when the angel Gabriel appeared to the shepherds in the field, he told them that the child born in Bethlehem is the Savior, Christ the Lord. Now we look at this other title given to the Savior. The word Christ is the Greek word Christos, and it means literally anointed or chosen one, anointed one. And so when we look at these two titles together, Jesus and Christ... Given that was given to this baby who was born to Mary another 2,000 years ago, we're pointed to the fact that he is the anointed. When we put these things together, he is the anointed Savior of Jehovah God, Jesus Christ. The anointed Savior of Jehovah God. And we're pointed to this fact. Um, When we realize this, we see so much more than just who he was or who he is, but why he came and what he came to do. In other words, we know that Jesus, who is the anointed Savior of Jehovah God, that he was sent for the purpose of saving mankind from their sin. That's what the angel testified. That's what the name reveals. That's what the title reveals meaning the bondage of sin, the penalty of sin, which which is eternal death. And we know that Jesus, who is the Christ, would do so by offering up his spotless and blameless life for us as a substitute sacrifice. Now to Isaiah chapter 53. Because in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 5, it speaks prophetically of what we're reading about here in regards to the ministry and the work of the Savior, right? It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. Listen, familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took our infirmities and he carried our sorrows, yet we consider him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was, this is is so cool, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. For our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Now, all this ties together with the circumcision that we're reading about here. Why? Because it was the first of all of his sufferings for us. It was the first of all of his sufferings for us. And through this circumcision, Jesus then entered into that covenant that was made with Abraham for us. He entered into that covenant that was made by God with Abraham for us, and in doing so, he himself is now the only way by which we can become God's special chosen people. Through him. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, it clearly declares this it speaks of this saying now the new testament being revealed it says in him also in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands what is that referring to the heart right in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of the christ But this event of Jesus' circumcision was only the beginning as it was the first, listen, it was the first perfect step. This was the first of the perfects of all the perfect steps, the first of the perfect steps of many in his 33-year life that qualified him to become for us that blameless sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And this is why we're also told of the second important event by Luke in verses 22 through 24 that we already read But that basically tells us that, that, that Mary's days of purification according to the laws of Moses were complete, that when they were complete, they then brought Jesus to the temple to be presented to the Lord. Now, in Leviticus chapter 12 is where we read about the law in regards to what, we're, what we see taking place here. And in Leviticus chapter 12, it tells us that the days of purification was 40 days for a woman who gave birth to a son, to a male child. 40 days. And Luke documents when did this happen? 40 days after her 40 days of purification. In perfect accordance again to the law. When did the circumcision take place? Eight days in perfect perfect accordance to the law. And when these particular 40 days of purification were over, in in Leviticus chapter 12, it tells us that then a sacrifice was to be made in the temple. A sacrifice of a lamb is what it says was to be offered up at the temple for all male children that had been born. But it says also that if a lamb could not have been afforded, by those who had the child, then you could substitute that lamb sacrifice with two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One as, listen, one as a burnt offering, which is significant, and the other as a sin offering, which is also significant. Because, and we know that because Joseph and Mary, obviously in this situation, they were poor, um, they offered up um, the, the two turtle doves and the two pigeons. That's what we read about here. As a sacrifice for Jesus, now, when we begin to look at the law that commanded the sacrifice for redemption to be made for the firstborn child, we see some pretty cool things because it encompassed not just the the, the human children but also the animals that you own, and um, as far as this sacrifice of redemption and In Exodus chapter thirteen, you can look there if you want i 'm going to read a few verses together it 's verses eleven through sixteen. Uh, it, it accounts this is where this is put forth from the laws recorded about the sacrifice redemption and it says it says and it shall be verse eleven Exodus thirteen and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as He swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb that is. Every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's, but every firstborn donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And then listen, it says, and then all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. A sacrifice of redemption. You shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you, (laughs) this is pretty cool, So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? What is this sacrifice of redemption? That you shall say to him, Son, (laughs) by the strength of the hand of the Lord, we were brought out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And we know spiritually speaking that Egypt's a picture of the world, right? Spiritually, there's application here. And he goes on and he says, and it it came to pass, the story, when when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of, of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. So... Guys, the sacrifice of redemption was instituted as a reminder, right? It was a reminder. That's what we read here. Why should you do this? As a reminder. It was a reminder. It was, the sacrifice of redemption was instituted as a reminder of God's salvation, right? It was a reminder of God's salvation. And to tell how God, the generations that came up after them, how God had delivered his people, how he had delivered them from Egyptian bondage. In that, And we know how God did that, right? Through the 10th plague. We were studying through the book of Exodus just before we came to the book of Luke. And we know that it was in the 10th plague, the final plague, that it was sent upon Egypt that God provided a way for his people to be spared from that, that judgment of the 10th plague and also at the same time set free from their bondage. God made a way for them to be s- s- saved from the, the, the judgment and set free from their bondage. God provided a way. And leading up to this final plague, God had told Moses that the firstborn in all the land of Egypt, whether it was a man or a beast, they would die. But God said that his people could be protected from this judgment and that the angel of death would pass over them if they sacrificed a lamb. And then they were to take the blood of that lamb and put it on the outside of the post, down each side and across the top beam of the front door. And as most of you know, the remembrance, the, the national remembrance uh, of this event is celebrated annually by the nation of Israel with what has be become known as the Passover Feast. But every time, guys, listen, every time this sacrifice of redemption, when the first one, when, when someone would have give birth to a son, their first son, every time that took place and the sacrifice of redemption was offered up after the birth of a firstborn child for his redemption, you know what there was in this? It then became personal, individual. It was a personal, an individual reminder of God's salvation that came through a sacrificial death, the sacrificial death of a lamb that was without splot and blemish. And all these things were designed by God in order to reveal and to point out our need for a redeemer, right? Someone who could make a sacrifice for us. Someone who could save us from the judgment to come. Someone who could set us free from the bondage of our sin. So, back to Luke. When Jesus, capital J-E-S-U-S, When Jesus was brought to the temple and a sacrifice of redemption was offered up for him when he was 40 days old, God's Redeemer, his firstborn son, was redeemed. But listen, he was not redeemed for himself, but for those whom he came to redeem. Because not only was his name Jesus, it says he was great, right? and that he came to save us from our sins. In both of those applications that the angel Gabriel gave, God's Redeemer, his firstborn son, was redeemed not for himself, but for those whom he came to save. You see, the point of this event that we're reading about here, that Luke accounts for us, that we might just read past because it's just a short mention of it, the point of this event was twofold. First, it was to fulfill the law, Right? It was to fulfill the law as Jesus, who was without spot and blemish, perfectly fulfilled, were told, all of the law. And this was the next step. In other words, as we, as we to fulfill the law, but, excuse me, this sacrifice of redemption that, that, that um, was offered on behalf of the Redeemer was also done so that we, through Jesus, so that we, through Jesus, who fulfilled the requirement of the law for us that we might become God's redeemed. Again, through him, through the work that he's done on our behalf, the work of circumcision that we enter into, the work of redemption that we also enter into is through him. There's no other way why cuz he's perfectly fulfilled the law. In other words, as we put our faith in God's plan of salvation, and in his son Jesus, we would be saved and set free through the sinless life of Jesus, the Christ who was sacrificed who was sacrificed to redeem us. Our sacrifice of redemption. Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 15, it tells of this and says, Listen, it says, When Christ came as a high priest of good things that are already here, he went in through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made by man. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter in by means of, of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered in the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained it says, eternal redemption for us. The blood of goats and bulls, Paul writes there, and the ashes of heifers sprinkled on those who are ceremonial and clean, sanctify them so that they were outwardly clean. If those things were so, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience From acts that lead to death, so that we might serve a living God. How much greater, he's saying, is the sacrifice that Jesus made? How much greater? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. And what is that covenant established in, it says? We just read about it with communion. In the sacrifice that he made, in the work that he did, it's a covenant of grace. He entered into it on his own for our behalf. He's done the work. A new covenant, he says, that those who are called may receive the promise. Eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from sins committed under that first covenant. So the point of all this is to show us that Jesus's, the point of all these events, these two events, and the Old Testament passages pointing forward to it, and the New Testament passages revealing how it applies to our lives, all of these things show us that Jesus' relationship to the, the law is important as it relates to him saving us. Jesus' relationship to the law is important as it relates to saving us. And this is, this is also spoken about or represented in Galatians New Testament passage, chapter four, verses four through five, which says this. It says, it says, but when the time had fully come, we're reading about it here. What time was that? It was this time, Luke chapter two. When the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law. Why, he writes, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of a son entered into a covenant. And although Jesus... Guys, listen. Although, and I love this part, hear it. Although Jesus consistently rejected man's religious traditions, which he did. He always obeyed and kept God's law perfectly, and he did so for us. He once again did for us what we could not do on our own, complete obedience to the Father. And as a result of that, he took the reward, the victory, and he's given it to us eternal life, redemption. And although Jesus, again, consistently rejected man's religious traditions, and I point that out because we should too, and, and you know who's the best at putting religious regulations on us? It's ourselves. You guys, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't burden yourself with something that God has set you free from. Grace is an amazing, wonderful thing, and God calls us to live in his grace and, 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 and to realize and understand the, the work that he's done for us. And when we understand and realize the work that he's done for us, then we're set free to enjoy the rewards of it, the fruit of it. Because why? He perfectly kept the law. And who did he do it for? He did it for us. Jesus, Jehovah, God's Savior, did this so that we who have broken God's commands, so that we who have done righteous things might receive a righteousness that is not our own. His righteousness. Again the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 20 and 21 declares this as he had called out to the Christians in Corinth to come to Jesus and to receive this grace of God saying saying now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us he says we implore you this morning God is imploring us again on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to him for he whom he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Seth, Mike, if you want to come up, we're going to, we're going to end with this. And, and guys, even though um, Jesus kept the law perfectly, even though Jesus kept the law perfectly, he, according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says this. It says, he bore the curse of the law for us, which is death, so that we might live and be set free from bondage. Do you understand what God desires for you? Life, to live, to enjoy life. He bore the curse of the law for us, which is death, so that we might live and be set free from bondage. The prison doors are open don't sit in the cell. Walk out as a freed person justified having your spiritual, right, criminal record expunged just as if you've not done it all and live a life as a freed man or a freed woman. He did this so that we could do that. And the fact that Luke mentions these things taking place, guys, it's very important The fact that Luke mentions these two things is very important because, listen, if Jesus and I entered into these covenants, if he had not kept all the commands, if he had not kept the laws of God, you know what? Then he would not have been qualified to be our Savior. He would not be qualified to stand in our place as that spotless and blameless sacrificial lamb of God and bring us back into that right relationship with God where we're in peace with the Creator. But I'm here to tell you this morning, and Luke begins to declare it, he's qualified. He's more than qualified. And now there is no other name by which man can be saved but by the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, our Savior, the Anointed One, our Lord, God, I pray that these truths and the work that Christ did would would penetrate into our hearts and minds and that we would fully receive and understand what it is that you've done for us. God, when we understand, may our hearts be filled with gratitude and thanks and thanksgiving. May we rejoice and worship you when we understand, God, that you've set us free from bondage. You set us free from judgment, and you've purchased with your own life a life for us to live. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.